Welcome to the MindStream Podcast, exploring the facts and the stories around mind-body-spirit pathways to greater health and happiness. I'm your host, Liza Haran. Welcome back to Episode 3. This is Part 2. In Episode 3 of the MindStream Podcast, we're discussing the money mindset of professionals who draw on their natural gifts as a vocation, like healers and creatives, those for whom the value of the goods and services they generate are initiated by tapping into their own natural, or some might say supernatural, abilities and expressing them for the benefit of others. To gain some insight on the money mindset of the participants in Mindstream's event for National Freelancers Day, we surveyed the panelists and the attendees of the event. 75% of the participants are self-employed for all of their work and the rest for some of their work. The big headlines of this research show that the self-employed professionals who are driven from within feel fully on mission. They feel called to their work. They feel confident about what they do and how they're doing it. However, when it comes to the commercialization of their work, there are mixed feelings. Let me take you through some of their answers. As much as the participants felt that their work was needed, unique, and cherished by others, they also reported that it was misunderstood and undervalued. There was an exact split down the middle when asked if you feel uncomfortable about valuing your work in monetary terms. Most people at least sometimes feel uncomfortable talking money with potential or existing customers. And most people say, I feel I have to explain the value of my work to clients to justify the pricing. This is very interesting because this is twofold. This is partly about self-belief and making educated decisions about how you position yourself and the products and services you provide, but it's also a matter of the market understanding what you do and valuing that. Professionals are trying to find their way, and it seems the market is trying to find its way as well. I'm going to share with you some of the questions and thoughts that the participants in this survey shared. Quote, clients often don't realize that the price includes the route I've taken to gaining the skills I use to create their work, not just the time I take doing it. Quote, the idea that gifts from God should not be charged for as they are gifts not earned. Another comment, quote, Sometimes I feel asking for money for my natural gifts uncomfortable. I sometimes worry about being judged as charging unfairly. Quote, how to convince potential clients to pay for something that is new or something that is not familiar and obviously valuable. You can find the full results of this survey by going to mindstreamconnect.com slash podcast. Now let's join the conversation again with my fabulous panelists, Clary Colston, Adam Brewster, and David Thomas Wright. Let's hear about their money mindsets. 
At the moment, where I am is literally in the space of taking risks and being bold and being courageous and asking. Like literally for the past couple of years now, I've been working with Edinburgh City Council, the government, the police, and I've been involved in projects with them. And I've been being paid for the work that I do, but not to a considerable amount to be able to sustain me fully in my life and in my choices. Um, so now it's really the mindset that I've been working around this and the belief and the confidence in myself and in my work has now brought me to the stage where I'm now actively pursuing work in commercial and in businesses rather than individuals or small groups, charities, schools, for example, who don't necessarily pay a particular, you know, a lot of money. And so now it's really stepping into that space of standing up for myself and standing up for my work and knowing the value and seeking out those who can pay for that. So that is literally where I am in this space just now. And it's really, it's exciting, but it does call in a lot of bravery and a lot of courage. I mean, even just earlier today when I was sitting waiting for today to begin, I was up the back having snacks and there was a group, a table of gentlemen and they were you know, having their beers and they were over it. And I heard them talking about the gentleman said, this business of ours, you know, we're, we're the greatest, we do the greatest work. Tell me anyone that compares to us. And no one was saying, he was like, exactly, nobody compares to us. We're the best in the business. And it's just you guys, you just don't believe in yourselves. You don't have the confidence to go for this. And as I was overhearing it, I was thinking, is this an opportunity for me to just step over and say hi? I overheard that you were having difficulties with your self-belief and confidence <laughs> with your company. So I thought, should I go for it? And then I thought, well, the thought is there, so go. So literally, I stood up and went right over to the table and I said, hi, my name is Clary. And I couldn't help but overhear your conversation. And so the guy was started laughing and he was saying, actually, he's always saying this, but we're not actually a business. We're the physics lecturers at the university department. <laughs> so I was like, oh, well, my name is Clary anyway, and this is just what I do. And so I ended up just getting into a conversation with them. But after I had left and went and sat back down, I was like, that was... Uh, almost like a, a level up in myself of seeing an opportunity knowing that I can provide value there and having the courage to actually step out and say hey I can help you with this I overheard you had a problem and so I feel like that is you know the space that I'm moving into and I feel like that is definitely um, something that helps. That's so great. It's sometimes it's a fake it till you make it. I mean, there's a certain uh, value in naivete. When you were that 16 year old, David, I don't know enough to be worried about it. And I think if we could somehow tap into that and hold on to that, sometimes it will just give us the ability to be bold. So David, over to you. Well, this made me think about boundaries as well, because money is a boundary and money is a necessary boundary when you are doing something which is almost like an emotional exchange. So coaching, for example, or giving people readings. So we can think about different amounts and different values and what those mean and what those mean to individuals. But the act of charging at all happened because I was a teenager and I was giving readings in my parents' spare room. And it started off as friends. And then it was friends of friends, and then, you know, friends of friends of friends. So I was like, okay, there has to be a boundary here somewhere. So money was that boundary so that people would respect 
my time and my space because people responded so well to the work you know i could have had people ringing up all the time asking me for guidance or asking me for advice and it's like where do you draw the line so the line is money or money is a boundary i've learned a huge amount about boundaries in the work that i do because i feel that although i've studied conventional coaching methods etc that i've cultivated my own style of working and it was a bit like goldilocks and the kind of three bowls of porridge that's not quite right and that's not quite right and that you know and it's, it's more like this and and then the invitation is to communicate that to people in a way which you know is going to galvanize them so as you were saying to to make sales but also although i respect the budgets especially repeat clients loyal clients that the issue wasn't so much that they're asking me to do things for cheaper, but they were kind of saying, can you do like something bite-sized? And that sometimes happens. So again, in the kind of, in what we would call readings, some people do 15-minute readings or they do 30-minute readings. And I don't even like the word reading because it sounds really passive and it doesn't sound interactive as a word. But that someone said to me, well, you could make more money if you just did kind of 30 minutes and charge more for the 30 minute readings. And then you get more people coming in. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to do that because it's shrinking the value of it, you know, more and more and more. And what I found is when there was less time with the client that they were going back into wanting me to be kind of like a gypsy fortune teller rather than can we dig a bit deeper please you know and that's all i've ever wanted to do is can we can we really get to the nitty-gritty of what is really going on which isn't about needing someone to tell you what your future is it's not about thinking about how you're perceived by the people but it's about how do you see your own life mapping out and what is your vision so having more time and needing more time with people inevitably needs a greater monetary exchange and that's what i just learned to accept there are many different ways shapes and forms especially in in, in the coaching space online and some of the messaging i've heard online for example is that bigger is better as in there's some idea that there's more value in it or you're placing more value on your work the more you charge, which I don't think is true at all because if you go outside of what you think is your comfort zone, then you spend all of your time in some way over-serving and trying to justify that higher price point. And I've seen people just completely tirelessly just churning out content, 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 content. And what I, I sense in it is they're not comfortable with the price point and they think they have to justify that by giving free this, free that. It's, it's um, again, it is kind of subjective, but I think that where there is money and the conversation about money, there is a healthy boundary and it just makes it clearer because the work that I do, I don't do it for friends anymore. They don't ask me. I've had family members and friends want me to do that work and I've not said, give me the money then or anything like that but that they've offered that because in that time, I am not their brother, I'm not their friend, I'm doing something else and money can create that boundary, you know? And I've had people say to me, well, I can't believe you charged your friend, but I've got friends who like produce their own soaps or produce their own arts and crafts and I buy from those friends, not just because they're my mates and I want them to do well, but I actually really liked what they produce as a piece of art and I would not dream of sort of um, saying, can you just give me like a free sample of your soap or a free this or a free that? I think sometimes if it's an emotionally driven form of work, then people think it's kind of trivial or they think it's a hobby or they think it's something like friendship and it's not. So the money boundary helps you to differentiate that a little bit.
I've changed my mind about what I feel I need to be doing as a solitary business person who wants to build online. We all know that creative energy requires a lot from you. And I think that is the same. A lot of people don't understand this because it's kind of like, well, hard work is when you go down the pit. I don't know where that came from. I was channeling there. Um, as opposed to actually it's exhausting to coach people or it's, let's not call it exhausting, but, you know, expending energy in coaching people or, you know, creating a beautiful painting or something like that. And you're expending a lot of energy. And then as solo business people that were then expected to blast all this energy into the marketing of that. And that's why we burn out because it's just not sustainable. And I think that a lot of messaging, I don't know how you guys feel, but a lot of messaging I've seen is that um, it is possible and reasonable and sustainable to be doing creatively charged work within itself and then having the kind of activity that virgin media would have but you're just sat there on your own in your living room you know so i've changed my own sort of view of that just like to share as well like in terms of what you're saying here one thing that helped me like you're saying was really taking money away from being like an emotional issue, making it about you and putting it on the service, putting it on your, your vision, what you're actually creating so that the money is not about you. It's about what's being created and it serves what's being created. So like you were talking about friends that make soaps or make art and you pay them for that. It, it costs money to make the soaps. It costs money to make the art. There's materials involved. There's time involved. There's resources involved. All of that costs money. And when you think about the pricing for things is to cover the resources of creation. I think when people make money about themselves, they see it as them the end goal, when really it's the service that's the end goal. So if you make the money about serving, the money I need the money to be able to use these resources to create this thing in order to serve, the money is no longer a personal issue. And it's now a, this is how much it costs to be able to create that. That's just the way that it is, rather than making it about me or about my value or whether I'm good enough or whether, you know, like that's actually what's being created. So I think, yeah, taking it away from being an emotional issue and back to a service-based issue, it brings you back to recognizing that you are a creator, you are creating something and that, that costs time, energy and resources and that they are your most valuable asset. I'm going to add another one to that list, and that is experience. Well, this is what I charged when I was 25, but this is what I charged when I'm 40. And Rose, when I interviewed you, you said, yes, I went to school, and yes, I started painting at this age, but as I continue doing it, I inevitably become a better painter. And this is true for everything that we all do. We live and learn, and we're getting better. Can I tell you a story? Most of you have probably heard this story, but it's the story of the guy who came to fix the boiler. Great big old house and a great big old boiler, all rusty and terrible. And it's broken down. And the fixer comes in, walks around the boiler once, looks at it, takes a wee hammer, just a wee one, and taps the boiler. And it comes to life and starts working perfectly again. And then he gives the owner of the house the invoice, and it says thousand pounds and the guy's shocked and he wants a better invoice that sort of itemized where the hell did this thousand pounds come from and then he gets an itemized invoice in the mail and it says tapping the boiler with a hammer 10 pounds 
knowing where to tap the boiler with the hammer 990 pounds. <laughs> so I think this is what you're talking about. We've brought up a couple different themes here. The one of boundaries is so important. The one about how you have to recognize the value of your product and service. I like the objectification point that you've highlighted here. And also it's what is the win for the recipient? How is it going to affect them? Articulating the value. You reminded me of testimonials. When you have customers or reviews or something like this, they speak volumes. Word of mouth is the number one referral. I mean, it's always been, it still is. So capturing those testimonials and reviews is so important. And you mentioned marketing earlier. Marketing is one part of strategic communications. It's about telling your story. And today, the mass media is the internet. And if you can't be found by Google, you do not exist. You have no mind share. So that's why creating content, doing blogs, and are going to increase your SEO. There's a fine balance between overexposure and getting found and spending time creating this content, which is not flipping a switch. It does draw on your own natural resources. I'd like to turn it over to all of you with any pointed questions or scenarios. Who would like to go? Thank you to the panel for a very interesting and informative discussion tonight. I, I think I've come at the right time in my journey, so it's been really useful. This might be a question for Claire, just based on what Adam and David had said earlier, but you may well have insight. I wondered if you had any experience of early on when you were starting to create what you wanted to put out into schools, for example, of basically giving some of your content away for free or piloting for free or at a much reduced rate. Was that something you did? Um, how did you approach it? How did you approach then moving from that stage to sort of charging for it all entirely? Thank you so much. One of the first things that I did was volunteer. I actually volunteered in the schools. I had been sharing with a lot of my friends about what I discovered, how I wanted to use this, how I really wanted to help children and parents. And so there was a lot of my friends who knew what my intention was. And it was through one of these friends, Lily, who had messaged me and she said, Claire, I've seen this thing on with the council. They're looking for people who are interested in doing this thing. It was everything that I'd been talking to her about. And I was, I'd jump on it, literally, and had said to them, use me. Just this is, this is something that I want to do. I haven't had any experience in it before, but I have a deep passion for it. And so literally I went along, had an interview with them and they were like, oh my gosh, you're exactly what we've been looking for. And I was like, perfect, just use me. So I volunteered with them for about a year. When I was with them, I was also talking about all of the ideas, the books, the things that I was creating. And that's where the opportunity came available when the one of the ladies whom I was working with had read the the transcript for my book and had said we've been looking for a book like this and we we can't actually find one in the marketplace can you create that for us and that was another opportunity for me to be like yes and then I was like how do I create a book and so from that obviously I learned how to publish books and then set up the company and everything just evolved from that but talking about what I'm doing what I'm planning on doing what I want to do to as many people as possible and having them 
sort of do the work so that as soon as they've seen an opportunity, you know, I came to mind and they, they brought that to me. And that's how I find most of the work that goes around, like you said, word of mouth, people talk. And they remember it as well, you know. So very early on, yes, I had done voluntary work to begin with, but that grew on to then being paid to be a mentor for other volunteers that came on board as well. And then more book sales that, you know, had spread beyond just Edinburgh. It was across the UK, distribution companies picking up the book as well. And so, but I still, I feel like there was a lot of value in that because I was spreading the message. I was talking about what I was doing. Just add a little thing to that. Um, I did for quite a while a thing called Free Fridays where I was doing animations for charities or good causes and that allowed me to obviously give something back but also to sort of like develop my business in terms that I was doing something that was interesting at the same and we got people to submit ideas for projects so that I had an element of choice in what I was going to do, what I thought was worth doing in terms of their ideas as well as their needs and that was a good thing that just got a lot of good vibes and a lot of goodwill from people so that that sort of led on to other things i feel there there can be value to volunteering or giving things for free so i know i've talked about the value of pricing but that sometimes it is about the experience and gaining experience within yourself which you know if you're training or you're branching out isn't in an academic or classroom environment but is kind of out there in the real world also because i'm a big fan of manifesting law of attraction you know that's a passion of mine that subject that i sometimes think by doing it and not preparing for it that you're more in it and you're acting as if and that is more magnetic than if you were singing into your hairbrush in front of the mirror so the the way that i think about it is singing into the hairbrush or you know the equivalent of of whatever you do in your business even if you were then singing to like two people in the village hall that's more uh, resonant i think if you're into law of attraction and manifesting it's more attractive but also you are getting the satisfaction of being in that moment you're not preparing for it you're not training for it you're doing it to hone your craft and if you do have that time and that energy it isn't wrong to to volunteer or to not ask for an exchange of money i think it's important to consider exchange of energy which doesn't always have to be money and you know that could be a a skills exchange uh which i've done many many times and you know there there are speaking events there was one that i did last year again people said you should have charged for this because it was about instilling self-belief in people who identified as psychic and worked as psychic but for me Although it was a free event, I got so much from it in terms of practicing, because I think it's it's ever-evolving, practicing speaking about your passion. So whether you call it your elevator pitch or how you describe your work or a signature talk that you do, there is value in doing that. You know, people come to the networking event here and they will speak for free to the crowd because it might have some opportunity for them and attract paid work, but they're also getting the opportunity to further define their message. You know, my kind of subtitle, my strap line, my five minute elevator pitch thing, that, that's always changing. And I want it to be ever changing because how I define my work and who I feel I'm speaking to is an evolution. So the practice of that, it's wonderful because it makes you feel like you're in it, not just preparing or thinking about it. It or it takes it from being over there into a reality, even if it, that's not money in the bank as yet. Okay, great. Who's next? Does somebody have a question or a scenario, situation you'd like to bring forth? 
if you work alone, how important are the relationships that you build outside the work that you do? I've been looking forward to actually talking about this because this is one thing that I feel is very valuable, especially when it comes to being a freelancer and being a creative is collaborating with other people. Like Liza was saying earlier on, when you are freelance, you tend to wear all of the hats. You tend to do all of the stuff and you tend to, you can exhaust yourself and burn out from doing everything. So when you are in a team, when you have people who have multiple skills and you can come together and collaborate with one another, you can create things, you can make things happen that you wouldn't have been able to do on your own. And so the relationships are extremely important when it comes to building the business, building your success, growing in yourself and developing in everything that you've come to give and come to create. Um, and it's the one thing that I would say if there was anything I was to leave this evening, it would be to build and collaborate with people and you know share your skills with one another and help each other out I think sometimes when it comes to like creativity and corporate there's this idea in business of competing against one another that I think is just completely wrong it is completely not the way to go about building business and create and I really think that that comes from collaborating with one another and trusting one another and helping one another to to succeed so I feel relationships are paramount they're so important for success and and I would deeply encourage that once you lock yourself in that cupboard to start with you're just there by yourself and you're operating in this vacuum and you need to interact with other people just for your own mental benefit you know if you don't if all you are is yourself you're gonna start doing weird stuff (laughs) (laughs) and that happened to me and like i suddenly realized i was doing all this weird stuff (laughs) and collaboration thing as claire's mentioned is is exactly what you need to be doing as well but also just to sort of get out and realize that you're still in the world because locking yourself in a cupboard isn't healthy just to add to that i was uh talking to katie about this actually in the break that marketing locally or networking locally whatever you want to call that is so important because although the internet gives us so much freedom and a lot of democracy now to bring forward different ideas and different forms of business and different forms of service to actually just see the whites of people's eyes is just so nice if especially if you are a solo worker i know a lot of people are choosing to work in hot desking and collaborative spaces now for that reason. And before when I was talking about very complex online marketing strategies and how it it's kind of like being on a treadmill and not feeling like you're getting anywhere, it's not just about whether it's generating the money, but also feeling like you're gaining progress. Are you, are you kind of reaching out? Is someone reaching back to you? I totally agree with Clary that there is no such thing as competition. I don't believe in it. I believe there is room for everyone. I've had people say to me, you shouldn't collaborate with that person because their target audience is very similar to yours. And what's the benefit? It's a load of rubbish. If you think about the main coffee house chains in this country, they all essentially do the same sort of thing, but they all have their own distinct audience and they all survive. And all the fast food restaurants are all essentially... When I went to America for the first time last year, so many fast food restaurants all coexisting 
who do very, very, very similar things and what's the real difference? And it is the emotional experience. You could call it brand, but the emotional experience that you get when you go in there. This kind of work and freelancing and everything we talk about today is about celebrating uniqueness. There is only one of you and it is literally impossible for you to have competition because no one else is you. I've had friends who've been crippled by this, by comparison and looking at what other people are doing online and stuff like that. And actually, if you can just attune to, this is what intuition is about, attuning to your own values and and what you have to give to the world, then concepts of competition will just disappear because this is an abundant world and there is more than enough for everybody. And, you know, don't keep saying that the pot is limited or the pie is limited and someone else is getting a bigger slice than you because that won't help your money mindset at all. So well said, David. Thank you. You highlighted the difference between coming from a place of fear or lack versus coming from a place of there's enough for everybody and love. And uh, what we've just heard is about listening to your own voice, living your own truth, giving energy to that voice objectifying the work you do, the service you do from who you are. That's such wisdom, community and collaboration and being open. Never forget you're running a business. This is where the guilt must go. We got to believe it first. Thanks to all of you for coming. Thank you very much for my panelists, Rose, Clary, Adam, and David. Thank you very much. We can learn from the journeys of our panelists. The biggest takeaways are that there is an internal process to valuing our work and an external process. It's a matter of research, perhaps digging deep and understanding how we feel about our proposition, and then placing that in an accessible way to the market. Perhaps we all share a responsibility to educate the market as to what goes into the services, products, professional development, and the value proposition of non-commodity work. The value of intuitively and creatively led professional work needs to be understood, recognized, and respected. I hope this has been an insightful discussion and a helpful for your own efforts. Please visit mindstreamconnect.com slash podcast to find the transcript, the accompanying presentation on SlideShare, and also the resources for independent professionals. Have you subscribed to the Mindstream podcast yet? It's a great time to do so. We'll be looking at the wellness movement in Scotland, the UK, and beyond. We've got episodes coming up with interviews with Linda Hamilton Parker of Holistic Scotland and Lauren Arms of Well To Do Global. The Mindstream podcast is free to subscribe to. You can find the Mindstream podcast through your Apple or Google stores, Spotify, or any number of podcast players. Just go to mindstreamconnect.com slash podcast and all the links are there. The Mindstream podcast is put on by mindstreamconnect.com. Please visit our website and sign up for our monthly newsletter. You'll also find our social links on there. We're on Facebook, 
Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. This is Liza Haran signing off with love and light. Thank you.